Good morning. How are we doing this morning? We have a full house in the room today, and I'm excited to hear from the Word of the Lord. Anybody else excited this morning? All right. Awesome deal. We're going to jump right into it this morning. Today, we're in a series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks, and the series is called Ever Wonder. And uh, as you can see on the screen behind me, we have a, a QR code, and it should be on your notes as well. And at any point during the message today or in the coming weeks, you can scan that QR code, which the way you do that is by taking a picture of it with your phone. And as you scan it, it will open up a place for you to ask questions about the crossing, about our beliefs, about the things that we do here, all right? And uh, the way that we're doing is that the last week of this series, we're going to have a time where we'll answer a bunch of ever wondered kind of questions, all right? And so we're going to get into that together this morning. Today, we're talking about, have you ever wondered why we do baptism the way that we do baptism here? If you've been here for very long on a Sunday, you know we like to celebrate it. And so this morning, we're going to get right into the word on that topic. But first, a story. It was a, uh, a brisk autumn day a few years back, and I'm, I'm sure many of you can relate because the uh, weather's begun to change and it feels amazing outside. But there was a breeze blowing across this dirt work area uh, outside, and it was kind of like a man-made pond that this campground was starting to make, but it wasn't finished. There was like all these mounds of kind of ugly-looking dirt all around, right? But... It was in central Arkansas, Christian camp, and it was late September, but even though it was in September, it was unusually chilly. And at this man-made pond out in the middle of, of, of nowhere, I look out into the pond, and there's one of my best friends, one of my, one of my brothers in the faith, standing there uh, looking at me, and also uh, another gentleman out there with him, about 20 feet. And I, so I walk out into the pond to meet my buddy. And uh, I was starting to shiver on the way out there, you know, because, again, the wind's blowing. The water's already starting to cool down. The gray sky was just, like, expansive overhead. I mean, beautiful, beautiful fall day. I reached him and the other guy that was out there with him. And what followed that moment was unforgettable, faith-galvanizing experience um, that I will always cherish. And always calls back to mind, you know, Delmar's done been saved, Everett. Right? <laughs> Anybody ever seen Oh Brother Where Art Thou? <laughs> this, is the, uh, this is the moment that was like that for me. And I imagined all my friends, Delmar's done been saved, Everett. Uh, it just dawned on me there, Jared. I don't have the clicker, so you're going to have to stay with me. Is that all right, man? Sorry about that. Interesting how movies affect our understanding of reality sometimes, and, and they, they, they affect how we, how we view things, right? But a legendary film here uh, by the Coen brothers was burned into my imagination as a young adult as what baptism could be. You know, Serene Creek, all these people dressed in white, you know, walking with you down to the baptism. Let's go down to the river to pray, right? Some of you may not know, this guy right here is actually from Hatfield, from Mina. He was in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's a side note. You can talk to me later about it if you don't know that already. Super interesting, okay? Getting distracted. But here's another image of baptism that stuck with me, right? This one uh, from another famous movie, Baptism, but maybe a less celebrated film, uh, Nacho Libre. Anybody ever seen this one? So, oh, thank you, my friend. All right, so what happens here is, is uh, you have this gentleman that is... Nacho's partner in crime, right? I think his name is uh, Esperanzo or Esposito, something like that. And he only believes in science. Anybody ever remember that, right? And it comes to the part of the show where Nacho is going up against one of his toughest opponents to date. And he goes through this whole monologue, you know. Well, tonight we are going up against Satan's cavemen. So I think it would be a good idea if we... Baptize, right? And uh, if you've seen it before, he slams his face into a bowl of water. <laughs> and that's, that's about how, how it happens. But again, once again, uh, kind of burned in my mind as a hilarious example of baptism. But 
But while it's hilarious and funny, it's not exactly the way we practice it at the crossing, right? And so this morning, um, I started with this story of, of my baptism. And this is true, a true story. You see the gray sky, the cool autumn day, my buddy and another guy out there in the water, and you see where I got out to where I was kind of shivering out there in the water, right? But once again, this single experience, you know, sealed and confirmed spiritual motion that had been going on in my life for a long time up until that point. And, and this experience then propelled me into the season of serving in ministry that I'm, I'm still in today. This one experience was so uh, profound in my life that I would be uh, remiss to not share this with you as part of the story this morning. Because if you've been here with us on Sundays for very long, you understand that what baptism looks like here is a cause for celebration, right? We spend a lot of time, we don't rush, we take our time talking through baptism every time somebody gets baptized. And what does it look like in the rest of the building? People stand to their feet, they cheer, they reach an arm forward, right, to pray over the person. And why? Maybe you've wondered that before. Why is it such a big deal? Well, this morning we're going to talk about that. We, we, we refuse to even put this off for very long. Somebody says they want to be baptized. We try to make it happen very quick. But maybe you find yourself going, oh, I wonder why. I wonder why we do it that way. Well, that's what we're talking about today. So what's the big deal with water baptism? I do want to say once again, as an encouragement to you, scan the QR and to submit your questions for the future. Today we won't be talking about other forms of baptism, like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Today, we're exclusively focusing on water baptism and that, that why we do that and why we celebrate it the way that we do. Well, jumping right into the scripture, uh, you, get, you find one of the most um, poignant passages, I think, is in Romans 6, where Paul is actually talking about um, what baptism is and why. He's concluding a thought that he explored in, in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, he asks this question, should we just keep sinning so that, so that grace can abound? Of course, the answer is no, right? Um, but then some may ask, well, why not? Wouldn't that just magnify the forgiveness, the grace of Jesus? Um, and, and Paul then says this, how can we do that? How can we even entertain that thought? Because we have died to sin. And check this out in Romans 6, 3. Or do you not know that as many of us are baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. In Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. In other words, the power of death that reigned over you, baptism is a symbol of the fact that Jesus has liberated you from that death. Amen. And you are free now to walk in the newness of life. And so that's, that's the first note that we have this morning. Baptism is a symbol of our death and resurrection with Christ. And it's more than that, but that's where we're starting today. Baptism is a symbol of our death and our resurrection with Christ. This means that, that whenever we are baptized, we are showing others what we are professing to be true in our soul. By being baptized, I'm expressing to all of you that I am in the process of dying to myself and walking in the light of the life of Jesus and the service of our Father. When I'm being baptized, that's what I'm professing. I'm professing that I am dying to self and I'm walking in the life. Of Jesus. Now, this brings forth an interesting distinction because in the book of Acts, baptism almost always follows salvation. Okay? Uh, there really isn't such a thing as an unbaptized believer or unbaptized saint in the early church. The, the progression was uh, very consistent, right? So check out Paul's story. You don't believe me? I'm going to just show you a couple of examples here. Paul's story. Paul has just been blinded and he's waiting to receive the word of the Lord. And uh, he's still Saul at this point. But the Lord said 
to Ananias, who is the man he wanted to go and minister to, to, to Saul. Go to Saul, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. He's saying, Paul is going to be a, a, a big dude in the kingdom. He's going to accomplish some things for me, Ananias. So go to him, because I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake, right? And Ananias went his way, and he entered Saul's house, and he laid his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight again, in other words, stop being blind, and that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from Paul's eyes something, Saul's eyes, something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and then what happened? He arose and was baptized. You see, the life of Jesus so powerfully came in Saul's life, and immediately he was baptized. Well, uh, the word continues on in Acts, in a couple of other examples. In Acts uh, chapter 10, they uh, heard them speak in tongues and magnify God, and then Peter who is uh, kind of the preacher in this moment, says, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And uh, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay for a few extra days. Peter here takes the reins and encourages these new Gentile believers to be baptized immediately after having that experience with the Lord. And then in Acts uh, 16, we tell of another person. This person's name is Lydia. And a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of uh, Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. What's that describing? I believe that's describing a salvation experience. The Lord opened Lydia's heart. She was able to finally heed the things spoken by Paul. She was able to receive the good news, right? And then in chapter 15, and when she and her house were baptized, she begged us by saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Paul ends up staying. I like this one because it doesn't really beat around the bush, right? It tells us when they were baptized. This implies that baptism was a given. It was going to happen. They haven't saved so now they were to be baptized. It's just like it's a normal thing. Also, it's interesting because um, although it doesn't really need to be said, I don't think in 2023, this also shows us that baptism is for all believers, not just men, right? Okay. It is. Now, with uh, baptism happening in the book of Acts after salvation in pretty much every circumstance, we can also intuit this point, uh, which I think holds true. Baptism does not equal salvation. So often in the book of Acts, we read that there was salvation or receiving of the gospel, then they were baptized. There was a receiving of the gospel, and then they were baptized. And if, if that's a struggle point for you, I just want to remind you, one of the tenets that we stand on is, is, is found in Romans 3.28, which is that a man is justified by faith apart from all deeds. A man is justified by faith Alone, some people say it like this, salvation is produced only through faith. No practice or action causes it or even continues it. It, it happens by faith alone. Therefore, baptism does not equal salvation. Now, we've, we've already here, for a very fast first few minutes of the message, um, established a good foundation on the topic. But if you, if you know me, you know that I'm pretty interested in, in semantics when I, when I speak. I like to talk about the meaning of things, right? Um, and so here's what I'm getting at. Baptism is all about water, right? Someone is being submerged in water and then brought back up. And so when I think of water, I tend to associate it not with death or resurrection, but just with with, you know, life or sustenance, you know, getting a nice, cool drink of water. Um, water in, in science, you know, is one of the key components you have to have to have life, right? So why would, why would we use water as a symbol for death, as a symbol for, well, I think that we're maybe shortchanging water because 
in uh, literary, literary techniques, water is also used for other types of symbols. For instance, um, which I thought this was a really cool video. This is a, a, called a free diver. It's a person that holds their breath and dives down to extreme depths uh, in, in, in the ocean. It's really cool. But this kind of water symbol, you know, free floating down in the depths of the water where light can barely penetrate, that produces a whole different kind of symbol. You see, this kind of symbol in the water, it, it, it tells us more of a story of like isolation, you know? Uh, for me, it's, it's claustrophobic. I feel like I'm suffocating watching this guy dive, you know? Um, maybe you've heard somebody say the words, I feel like I'm just treading water. Here's another little shot of this guy. I feel like I'm just treading water. Um, that, that phrase is rarely used to talk about how good your life is going, <laughs> you know? I feel like I'm just treading water. Uh, it especially gets scary to me right here when the whale pops into frame. Like, he's just, like, floating helplessly by these things. Um, or maybe you've, you've seen one of these posters in your workplace before, and water, you know, floating freely in water, that image really is more akin to something like anxiety or, again, isolation, helplessness, than it is to life and excitement. Or maybe for those of you that have a hard time uh, getting to this, to this understanding, maybe you've seen the movie Aladdin and uh, you've seen him be thrown off the ledge with a ball and chain on his foot, right? Water in that moment of Aladdin, that doesn't, that doesn't communicate life. Water is, is his enemy. It's killing him, right? He's, he's, he's drawn down all the way to the depths of the ocean. Deep water, it's a different symbol entirely. And I believe in baptism, that is what we're, we're emulating. And, and this is why this symbol is so heavy. And in a minute, you're going to understand, so liberating but in baptism, we're, we're depicting physically the drowning of ourself. We're physically depicting ourself being plunged into the depths. Notice I put self in quotations there. The reason for that is because I'm not talking about just you, you as a person being drowned. I'm talking about Yourself, your, your selfishness, your flesh, your desires. Those, those, you're being plunged to the depth and, 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 and drowning. It's a heavy, a heavy symbol that we're, that we're drawing upon here. Our sinful nature, our flesh, is being held under and put to death. But there's another side, you know, because... Just as Jesus, you know, Sam has mentioned it's about burial, about being buried. Just as Jesus came back from burial, that is also included in baptism. Because when we come up out of the water, we are depicting our powerful victory over sin. Amen. You understand that when we, you know, I like to say emphatically emerge from the water, we're not only depicting our, our, our victory over sin, but we're also depicting our new righteousness that only comes from Jesus. Amen. You see, we have put to death now. We're depicting by a symbol. We put to death our sin, our flesh, and we are raising up in victory and righteousness, emerging into that new identity with Christ. With Christ. If you want to get Disney with it, our fleshy self is being tossed in the sea with a ball and chain. And that ball and chain is made from our sin, dragging us down to the depths. And Jesus is the one swimming down and uncuffing us and then swimming us to the surface, free from all the junk that we were tossed in with. Jesus is emerging with us to life. Now, I think you guys are seeing a little bit now, like this is cause to celebrate. It's cause to, to dance a little bit, you know, to get a little excited, to cheer as we do when someone emerges from the water. 
But it's not, you may still be wondering, like, why, why is it necessary? What, what is the purpose of it, right? Well, first, I want to I remind us of this. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus commands it. And I think I would be a little remiss not to mention that at least uh, in part why we do what we do here is because Jesus commands it. He, he commands it implicitly, I think, by being baptized himself. But we'll get to that in a minute. Explicitly, though, in Matthew 28, he commands, Go, therefore, make disciples and baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit baptize them. This is where we get the mantra that you actually hear. Most times when someone is baptized, we do so in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, just as Jesus commanded, right? We speak, we invoke the authority of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as we baptize someone, right? Now, uh, another important note here is this verb here, baptize, baptizing them, baptizo. And you know, in other parts of the New Testament, that same word baptize is translated as bapto, right? But these are the two verbs that are pretty much exclusively used to describe baptism. And why is that important? Well, um, these two verbs you probably could hear me talk about for a little while because I love the meaning behind baptizo. But they both imply, or they both really mean, to submerge something, right? Baptizo uh, actually comes from the clothes dyeing industry, people that would take colors and dye clothes into another color. So it literally means to submerge in something until it begins to look like it, what it's being submerged in. That's a whole other sermon, okay? But baptizo and bapto, the importance today is that they both mean to submerge, to go under the surface, all right? Now, part of, the, uh, part of this is important because this is the basis upon which we build a, a belief that Jesus and his disciples practiced a dunking form of baptism right. instead of a sprinkle, right? Amen. Now, uh, I'm not going to get into the weeds on that, but this is at the crossing, why we dunk instead of spritz, okay? <laughs> Whether in a pond or a creek or, yes, a horse trough, which is back here behind this curtain, Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, right? The horse trough, we dunk. Because we believe that's what Jesus was saying when he said to baptize them, to submerge them, right? Also, before I conclude this section, um, I wanted you guys to take this note, that in this piece right here, and again, getting into this baptizo verb, which I'd love to preach on another time, when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, he is actually commanding us, he's asking believers to baptize their disciples literally in water and metaphorically. He's asking them to do both. All right, and, and commanding them really is, is a word that you could use here. Uh, submerging them in water symbolically, you know, to show that they've died to sin and they're, they're being raised with Christ. But also to submerge them mentally and spiritually in the nature of who God is, the nature of who Jesus is, the nature of who the Spirit is on all occasions. I've spoken on this before, but feel free to come and pick my brain about this. To me, it's, it's a very key component in making disciples. So you go and you make friends with people, and then on every occasion that you get the opportunity, you are submerging them in who God is, baptizing them in who God is. It's, it's both. It really is both. But we can't get away from the fact that he literally did ask us to baptize people. To baptize people. So um, now we're going to take just a short break before we finish up. And, and what we're going to do is I'm going to share just a couple of hotly debated parts of this conversation, okay? And um, while I probably am not going to give an answer that is, you know, completely uh, including all possible details that you could be wanting to know, I thought it would be uh, important for us to at least broach that these things are out there. Because if you like me, get excited about this message and you decide, okay, I'm going to go and research baptism or do a Bible plan on baptism or listen to people preach on baptism, you're probably going to run into these things, okay? Um, and so a couple of, of complex kind of topics around this sacrament are this, all right? And then we'll jump back into what it means at the crossing. First, should there be a minimum age to baptize people? This is one that you find a lot of difference in in different denominations, and it's not just Catholic Protestant. 
There are, there are even Protestant uh, division over this specific topic. Now, I don't want to get bogged down here, right? Um, but I also want to reference that there's a lot of emotional weight to this question. And some of you, even when that picture popped up, probably in your heart was like, oh, dear, that's terrible, you know. Or some of you were like, yeah, I'd like to hear him, hear him share more about that, right? But in another context, it might be asked like this. So you guys baptize babies, right? That's how a lot of people like to talk about it. But at the crossing, we don't have an explicit position on this. You know that? In writing and also through our denomination, the four square, we don't specifically say, yes, we do or no, we don't. However, I want to share with you guys this morning um, that, that we do have a practiced position, okay? Um, and, and what does that mean? Well, that means we have a way that we, we do things, right? Uh, we exclusively pretty much baptize people here that are old enough to make the decision for themselves, okay? And so due to it being a symbol of, of dying and living in Christ, we want our young people to understand the declaration that they are making, right? We want them to understand the decision that they're making. So here at the crossing, it's extremely rare for this baptism process to happen before, say, you know, five years of age, okay? Um, I hope that that answers most of maybe the gamut of, like, stuff that you would bring up on this topic. However, again, this is, like, deeply complex, and there's scripture that can be broken down in multiple ways to defend both sides of this argument. And so if you'd like a further conversation on this, please pick my brain, talk to Victor, talk to any of the pastors. We'd love to share more. But the way that we do things here is typically allowing people to be old enough to understand, and rarely does that happen here before like five years old, okay? All right, next thing that is pretty hotly debated um, is this question. Should you only be baptized once? Should, should you only ever be baptized once? And, and here's where that comes from. Many people believe because Jesus' sacrifice was enough once and for all, right? That by being baptized more than once, perhaps we're making light or we're, or we're speaking in a false word about the sacrifice of Jesus. Like maybe it wasn't enough for me back then, but it is now, right? And, and while that has so much merit, we also have to remember that while not explicitly stated, like baptism is described in Scripture, Romans 6, what we read earlier, as a symbol, as a form, right? It is a remembrance of something that Jesus did that we are, are uh, you know, practically, physically putting into a symbol in our life by being baptized. So just as I, you know, flawed human, I've had a couple of moments of coming back to Jesus in just a really life-changing way over the course of my life. There was a moment when I was a child that I wanted to be baptized, and I believe I was 100% into it, and I think that I was making the right decision. But you see, that's not this moment. I was seven then, and while I did profess and I totally believe that I want to be living my life for Christ, there are some things that I encountered from the ages you know, 10 to 18 that really made that a challenge and honestly kind of destroyed my walk with the Lord. And by the time I was 18 or 19, I wasn't walking in that powerful victory. I didn't feel the, the identity that God had bestowed upon me at baptism. It had kind of escaped out from under me. And, and I felt more like I was treading water, right? Than like I was living in purpose. Not only that, but like there was some sin issues that had taken root in my life. Various things, but one, um, chiefly among them, you know, pornography, all the way up until 19. And so at that point, I was like, man, I don't want to, I, I, how could I not show people that this is who I am now? How could I not indicate physically that this change has happened in my heart? 
And, and I want to say this too, because this is, again, our practice position here. We don't have anything in writing on this. Um, it, it's permissible to perform this symbol more than once. But we must be careful not to abuse this freedom by cheapening the symbol of the Lord's amazing victory in our lives. Does that make sense? Because we, we run the, we run the, the uh, danger, I think, by setting up, by doing this, we run the danger of setting up baptism um, as like this physical action that needs to be taken for you to be all right, you know? Just like we can do that with the, with the sinner's prayer. Like sometimes we, we feel like, oh, I sinned today. I better make things right or God's gonna, you know, pfft. And the thing is, is that, that there isn't a physical action that I need to take in order to be right with God. It is by faith alone that I'm justified. And, and so, carefully, my answer here would be, no, I don't think you have to be baptized only once, or only one time actually counts. For me, my second and un and last baptism was incredibly life-giving, identity-forming, and like I mentioned at the beginning, propelled me into the season of ministry that I'm still in. And so I think, I think that it is, uh, I think it is something that is allowed to happen, not only that, but is, uh, it can be in- integral to a person who is a young adult wanting to make a new commitment to the Lord. Now, we're out of this section about kind of the hotly debated topics. And now we're going to finish by doing something uh, probably a little artsy for some of you out there. But what I'd like to do is build for you guys a baptism triptych, all right? You may be going, what the heck is a triptych, right? Well, it's very simple, actually. A triptych is just a, a work of art in three panels that weaves some sort of narrative thread. And that's not a note. That's just a general knowledge, a gift from me to you. So the, in the world of artistry, a triptych is just a three-panel, three-piece uh, work of art, right? And you've, you've seen them probably in uh, history documentaries, or maybe you've traveled and you've seen one in person. But to me, they are beautiful, um, and they've been dumbed down in the modern age to something as simple as a Instagram collage, right? You never thought about that, but if you ever posted a three-picture Instagram collage, that's a triptych, right? And you probably didn't tell your friends that, like, look at my vacation triptych, right? But, but you, you are posting them, right? And so today, we're going to set up a triptych that defines baptism at the crossing, okay? And so what I would like to do is, before we get into that, show you a couple of examples. Here's a triptych of the birth of Christ, Okay? Um, So you can see here the left panel shows the wise men bringing gifts. The right panel shows the shepherds and a lamb. And then the center panel shows the angel of the Lord, Jesus in the manger, and Joseph and Mary. Do you guys see how the three panels accomplish more than just a single picture could do, right? And it it tells us, really, the story of the birth. And this one is actually, you know, a lot like a nativity scene. And so I want to give you another example. This one is of the death of Christ. We see Christ being beaten here. We see him on the cross here. And then uh, we see here him being buried. These are different stages of the stuff that Jesus went through. And to me, they get across more than a single piece of art of Jesus on the cross could. Because you're seeing different elements of what Jesus had to endure. of What happened to our Savior, right? So quickly, for our church, on the topic of baptism... How would I define it? So that if a person walks in and says, what is, uh, what is baptism at the crossing? We could say, oh, take a look at our triptych right here. Um, first, you have to start. The most central part of this all is the, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, as we have defined already, this is what we are symbolizing when we are being baptized. I love this piece of art. Jesus is now resurrected, right? And he has followers that are excited. The angel is proclaiming the good news and the Romans are running. I love that. It's so funny. But 
but we are, we are symbolizing this right here whenever we are baptized. We died with Christ, and now we are raised to new life. This is a central moment from our whole faith, but it is central especially to baptism, right? So this piece must be the fulcrum piece of the triptych. Now, the next panel that I would define as like something that we want people to know, this is why we do baptism, is uh, something that really sets up our whole understanding of baptism, and that is Jesus himself being baptized, Rarely do you hear any of the pastors, but Victor especially, do a baptism over here without referencing Jesus being baptized. Why is that? Well, Jesus was setting up a model for us, right? Because the baptism of Jesus served as a moment for him, for his identity to be formed, and for him to be prepared to be launched into ministry, right? And so this identity forming this launch into ministry, they are a key couple of elements to how we do baptism here. We speak identity over someone. We pray that the Lord would just launch them into opportunities to minister the good news that they have been uh, ministered to, right? And, and that they could be transformed and launched into a new time in their life, right? For Jesus, this is where his road to the cross began was at baptism. And it's so essential because we are reminding people by including it here that this is a key component of you being baptized. We believe this is gonna be an identity-forming moment for you. It's gonna be a launching kind of moment for you. And that feels a little heavy. Like, by making this decision, you're saying I might just be launched into new opportunities, new, new things to go and do. Yeah, that's what we're saying. And that's part of the celebration. That's part of it. So here's two great pictures, right? Well, we have an empty panel. And so where else do we see baptism being so important in Scripture? What, what could fill this third panel? And I think a lot of you may, could come up with a different option and, and might be able to better defend it than I am. But for me, I think we see this last panel come to life in Exodus 14. Because the Israelites had just finally gotten permission to leave Egypt. Egypt, a place where they were enslaved. Egypt, a place where they were oppressed where they were concerned for their well-being, for their future. The worship team can come on whenever they are ready. But here, we read a story of baptism. When Pharaoh drew near, because Pharaoh changed his mind. I'm not sure I want them to leave anymore. He's chasing them down. The children of Israel lifted their eyes, looking back, you know, towards Egypt, and behold... The Egyptians were marching after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel, they cried out to the Lord. And, and you're imagining maybe this powerful prayer. Lord, save us. Lord, we still believe. What they cried out was to Moses too. Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you just taken us out here to die? To the wilderness to die? Why have you so dealt with us? to bring us up out of Egypt? Why did you even try to get us to leave, right? <laughs> Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? We said, Moses, drop it. Let us alone so that we can serve the Egyptians. Because Moses, it would have been better for us to, to, to serve the Egyptians than to march out here, be backed into a corner, and then be killed So Moses simply says, don't be afraid, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Moses, a very powerful encourager here, right? The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And then in verse 15, the Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? 
tell the children of Israel to go forward. And in verse 16, but Moses, I want you to lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and, and just divide it, Moses. And the children of Israel will be able to walk through on dry ground through the midst of the sea. First of all, what? Lift up your staff and just divide it? <laughs> I don't even know. what. I mean, I, I guess I would probably start like waving it or something, but I don't know how to do what God's commanding here. But this is more than a symbolic baptism. You guys, this was a literal baptism. Because imagine this. They left Egypt, and to get to the promised land, there is a sea to cross. Behind them, a rallying army, death by 10,000 Egyptians. So here, in this moment, right, as they're led up to the waterfront, understandably, the Israelites had second thoughts. Why did you lead us out here? Is this really all it's cracked up to be? Is God really going to come through like he said he would? What's the deal here, Moses? Now, I'd like to contend to you. It's easy for us to go, well, that wouldn't be me. But backed into a, an ocean of death or 10,000 charging Egyptians, we probably would all feel a lot of that stress, a lot of that weight. <laughs> They were unsure and upset by the idea that they had left their, you know, semi-comfortable life behind. For what? An unceremonious end? But by the power and love of God, the sea was opened up. The sea was pushed back. And, and, and Israel went down into the water with their concerns, with their distrust, you know, with their, with their failing loyalty, with their fleshy complaints. But still, God opened a path down into the depths, and then he led them up to life and to a future. Do you understand See, as the Israelites emerge from the sea, they look back and the Egyptians, the representative to them of, of death and oppression, they are washed away in this depth of a sea that was parted and that they had to pass through themselves. And then they look back and God has destroyed death. They are walking to the land of life and promise. This moment rounds out our triptych. Look at the joy, the comfort on these faces. You know, like the, the purpose, the new understanding of like, I didn't think I would be here, but I'm here. God got me here as death is being washed away. Water baptism is a cause for celebration because one of our brothers and sisters is crossing the Red Sea. You know that? <laughs> one of our brothers and sisters, they're forsaking a life of oppression, a life of slavery to their flesh, a life of servitude to the enemy. They're, they're escaping that suffering and they're choosing to die to that lifestyle and to live with Jesus. To truly live. And, and we recognize too here, I, I, I don't want to point out or skip by it, that these unsure thoughts, right? These, these, I mean, you remember when you gave your life to the Lord, there is this thought in the back of your head. Am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I giving up a, you know, kind of comfortable life? For what? For this? What's happening here? But at baptism... We are encouraging that person, just like Moses did. We're saying, no, just do it. 
Jesus will set you free. Wait on the Lord. Jesus, he's, he's there on the other side of the water. He's going to lead you through. Baptism is an opportunity for us as a church to be Moses for someone who's unsure, for someone who, who wants that life, but it just doesn't know. Crossover. God had salvation and he had your salvation, your crossing over moment in mind all the way back when he led the Israelites through the Red Sea. And just like he did for those nervous Israelites backed into a corner, God will powerfully lead you through the Red Sea from death to life. In baptism, we recall these motifs and we celebrate because of the continued deliverance, liberation, and life that's found in Jesus. And that's cause for celebration. It is. We're going to do a, a quiet reaction moment for you. And then I have a response for you guys this next week. Um, but if you would, just close your eyes right where you're at. And as the lights come down and we're going to praise together here in just a minute, I want to ask you a couple of questions. As we talk through these different motifs, which ones are you missing in your life? Maybe this morning you... You're not even sure that you've really received the good news. You're not sure that you've ever really given your life to the Lord. Or maybe like that's, that's not really a concern, but that identity, that purpose moment that I talked about where the heavens opened up and God, you know, spoke over Jesus. You're my beloved son. I love you so much. I have great plans for you. Maybe you would just say this morning, I don't really feel that in my life. I don't feel that identity, that, that purpose. Or maybe you're, you're saying, I, I don't feel the liberation. And I, I was baptized, saved, but I, I still struggle with sin, like daily. And I still struggle with just feeling oppressed by things in my life. I feel like I can never, you know, do enough or be enough. I don't feel that liberation power that you're talking about. Well, this morning, in this quiet moment, I want you to seek the Lord about renewing these elements in your walk with Him. And before we do, just understand it doesn't have to be through another baptism, okay? But it... It could be in discussing this with trusted friends, you know? Like, like, here's a good conversation starter. I love how we do baptism, but sometimes in my life, I don't feel like someone who's been liberated. Or, you know, I don't feel that identity-confirming power that Jesus felt after he was baptized. I want to encourage you to open up and have a conversation like that. But right now, before we dismiss and before we're done, I want you to just very quietly, with your eyes closed, just... Consider that. Which of those stuck out as something that you feel like you're missing? Liberation from sin. You're missing your you know, identity, purpose. You're missing that feeling of salvation, being close to the Lord. This morning, would you just quietly seek the Lord? Lord, Lord, I want that. Lord, I want identity in my life. Lord, I want liberation from this sin. And as you pray that prayer, then I want you to just sit quietly for a moment. See what the Lord might say to you. Lord, you see these honest 
confessions of your people. God, I just pray as we leave this place, as we go back about our lives this week, that you would powerfully interact with us. Those of us that are looking for liberation, Lord, let us find people, scriptures, whatever it be, that further that that in our lives, Lord, this week. Looking for identity, Lord, let us find someone that will speak identity over us or, or, or show us this week in some powerful way who we are again. Renew that in us, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You guys can look back up here. I'm going to just put these on the screen. And uh, regardless of your interaction with that first question, I want to encourage you guys to, to consider starting a conversation this way this week. Um, maybe it's at your circle or your life group, or maybe it's over a cup of coffee or just hanging out with nothing else to do. You know, ask somebody, when were you baptized? How did it feel to you? Uh, did it, did it, do you still feel like it impacts you today? Are you still walking with some of that? Or what do you wish would have been different? You know, just have a conversation about your baptism story and see where that goes. And I want to be clear with everyone just before we're done. Um, you may talk to any one of us, pastors, and that includes circle pastors, your, your small group leader. You can talk to any one of us if you have any interest about being baptized. Uh, it's a conversation that's wide open for concerns, for, for comments, for questions, right? Um, but if you want to be baptized, find any of us, and we will start the process. We, we would love to walk through this with some of you, right? Circle pastor, pastor, doesn't matter. We all, we all communicate here. <laughs> but we are ready to celebrate with you too. Man, this gets me excited. Thank you guys so much for listening to the word this morning. I want to finish by uh, just praising the Lord. And I'm sure that the worship team will dismiss you as we worship together. All right, so you guys stand with us and let's worship. Thank you.